At Dublab, we believe in equality and action. Strong, creative people have the power to make a difference. My voice is coming to you from the Dublab studio. Make your voice heard just as clearly by voting. Broadcast your message by participating in one of the most important elections of our generation. Get started by using vote.gov and registering today. Hello and welcome to In Conversation, a DubLab podcast where each week we will bring you interviews from the DubLab radio archives. Listening to Rare Air on Dub Lab Future Roots Radio. I am extremely proud. Okay, so first of all, Erasure's Always is one of my like favorite songs in the history of time. And the gentleman who founded the record label that put this record out is called I Say, I Say, I Say. I used to have the Always single because I couldn't afford the full length back in like 1993 or whatever it was. But anyway, I digress. The gentleman who founded Mute Records, Daniel Miller, took the time to have tea with me and talk about what he's been up to lately. It was really exciting. I made a whole like mute playlist. There's a lot of dorky stuff on here that I uh, get a lot of nostalgic pleasure out of. The thing about mute is you can cast a really wide net and you'll find lots of your favorites in there. Truly an amazing record label. Daniel Miller is going to be speaking with me. I'm gonna play the interview which took place at uh, Mr. C's Hotel in Beverly Hills. Ale recorded it for us, by the way. Shout out to Ale. So, enjoy the warm leatherette in the background. And after a little bit of music, all of which came from Mute Records, you are going to hear the gentleman speak. Thank you so much for tuning in to Dublap, by the way. I'm DJ Lady C. I am going to now play my lovely chat that I had with Daniel Miller, courtesy of Ale Cohen. I hope you guys enjoy it. You're going to hear lots of ambient noise, and you're going to get a full field recording effect so without any further ado let's go ahead and air this bad boy thanks for tuning in by the way this is dub lab future roots radio so you recently dj'd at the monty bar mm-hmm. a few days ago yeah. and you've been djing around america and in london and uh this is something that i read you used to do quite some time ago in switzerland yeah that's yes. has djing been part of your career over the course of the development of mute and performing music or is this something that you recently came back to it's something i recently came back to Actually, the gig the other night at Monty's was my, only my second gig in America. Oh, my goodness. So that was quite quite fun to be my first one in L.A., so that was good. Um, I rec- I, yeah, I got back into it about five years ago. Okay. Um, a friend of mine called uh, Carl O'Connor, whose name, DJ name is Regis, mm-hmm. he had a big party at Bergheim in Berlin, which is a big techno club there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. Okay. And, um, yeah, he invited me to play there, which is like playing Dodger Stadium as your first. Yeah, yeah certainly. Like, I think Dodger Stadium. I would say Wembley Stadium in England. I don't know. People know Wembley Stadium. Yeah. It's like the home of techno, really. It's an amazing venue. Incredible sound. And I played there, and I enjoyed it so much that um, I didn't think I did a very good job, but I really enjoyed it. And I thought I would, you know, it's something I really need to do. And a friend of mine's an agent, and she, she started getting, putting me some dates, and... Gone from there, and this year 
I'm doing more than ever, so I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. That's really exciting. Have you yeah. been using Serato, or have you been using vinyl, or some kind of combination? I use Tractor. Oh, okay, fantastic. I use Tractor with a Tractor controller. Excellent. Yeah. And so after coming back to DJing, after you know doing it in the '70s, when I imagine it was only vinyl. Yeah, I mean, the set. I mean, listen, let's be clear. What I did in the '70s, right? <laughs> um, I was. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it work. Okay. Um, yeah, we're back in the 70s when I, I did a couple of seasons mm-hmm. in a ski resort. Oh, beautiful. Which was amazing. And my main purpose to be there was really to ski. Yep. And, <laughs> and, but it was a great job to have because, A, it was for music, and it was a night job, so I, mean, I could ski during the day. Yeah. But it was a very, very like, a holiday crowd. So I was basically playing the chart hits of the day. Yeah, just setting the party tone, yeah, exactly. I'm sure. And it was very mixed up in those days. So you might have, like, Deep Purple, then ABBA, and then, you know, uh, Donna Summer. Yeah, so it was all very mixed up. It was good fun, really good fun. Yeah, I had a really good, I had a great time there. But then I stopped after that for, for years. Right. And you had a lot of stuff on your plate during those years, we have to uh, say. <laughs> on my plate. Uh, and then I got back into it kind of for a short period of time. You know, there's a festival called Sonar. Uh uh-huh. of course. They have a, they have a, um, what's it called? They have a, they have like a, a tent there, which is, I think it's called Sonar Lab, I think, or Sonic Lab or something, mm-hmm. where they ask record labels to, to play their, present their music to the audience. And I thought, well, that's okay, but just sitting there and playing records, which people can hear anywhere, is kind of a bit more, we could be a bit more imaginative. Certainly. So what I did is I took, I took tracks from across the catalogue and did lock grooves of them, one bar lock grooves, so you could have a Nick Cave and a Depeche Mode and a Plastic Man and a Diamanda Gallus, and they'd all be in, kind of in time. Yeah, oh my gosh. I, you, so I, I did it with a friend and my colleague of mine, uh, Seth Hodder, who used to run Novamute, and we had like four dub plates, and we were, we were yeah, just having lock grooves, kind of randomly changing the, the lock, seeing what worked. And that was really good fun. We did that for a while. That's... And, uh, and then we got bored of that. So, and then, yeah, a few years later, I started, you know, now. So, when it comes to choosing what you're going to DJ, do you draw mostly from the Mute catalogue, or do you just kind of cast your net wide and see what you can find? Well, I'm, I'm very specifically a techno DJ. Oh, okay. That's for a number of reasons. One, I love it. Two, um, I want to focus on it, on mm-hmm. techno, rather than going too broad, because, first of all, I don't have the time to listen to too much other stuff. But I like, the, I like the, the sort of, I guess restrictions is the wrong word, but I mean, it's very specific techno. Certainly. And um, I like that specific, and making things work within that framework is kind of a really good challenge for me, because there's so much music out there, you can play anything, you know. And so to have kind of rules I, really helps me a lot. Yeah. I... It's the kind of thing that I would do in the studio as well, you know, set, setting rules, because it's too much, so much choice out there. So I'm very specific techno. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do play a couple of mute things that are remixes that are appropriate, but only because they work, not because they're... Right, absolutely. And so now that you're um, on this DJing tip, do you find yourself making music at all recently? Has that been something that's been (laughs) part of your practice, or is it something that's a bit... Something I like to do more is to to do some songs, tunes that would fit into my set. Mm -hmm. And there's this new format called Stems. I don't know if you've seen it by Native Instruments. I'm unfamiliar. Um... He's her, he likes it. He uses it all the time. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> Big STEM fan in the mix Big over here. <laughs> but what that allows you to do is like, it's a four-track stem. Okay. So normally you have kick on one stem, bass on the other, percussion on another one, and that. And then when you're mixing, you can actually control the stems. 
Oh, wow. Which is really great. So you can just have the kick drum of one track, the bass part on another track. You know, it's really... It takes, I'm, I'm just getting into it. It's quite, you know, to do all that stuff while you're playing is quite complicated. But yeah, it really turns you into performer as yeah, well as and I, and I really like the idea of that. So, the, so doing something like that really appeals to me, doing tracks that work in that way. But it's just time, you know. Yeah, certainly. So as I understand it, um, you were able to reestablish Mute as an independent mm -hmm. from EMI around 2010. Mm -hmm. And so how much of label work do you find yourself shouldering over the course of, uh, like, a regular day? Are you still... Is well, it I'm, fully, of... I'm fully involved. Right. Um, I have a really great team which do a lot of the, you know, a lot of the work. But, no, I'm definitely... I mean, depending on what I'm doing at any particular time, but, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely involved. I suppose my, my main role is kind of overseeing the A&R process. Um, you know, I have very good people doing the business side of things. Mm -hmm. um, but, of course, I'm also basically overseeing this kind of general direction of the company. But, um, you know, we've got a very good CEO who takes care of all the day-to-day -day stuff and business side. So I don't know how many hours. I mean, it could be twenty. It could be 18 hours. It could be no hours. It just depends what's going on, <laughs> you know. If I'm in the studio, for instance, it could be, you know, working with a band in the studio. It could be a long time. But, That's really exciting. Yeah. And do you do a lot of the production work still with some of the new bands that you bring in? I don't do any production work. Okay. Um, I think I'm, my, I think I'm better, I'm better utilised doing more kind of A&R, mm -hmm. which in, the, in that sense of overseeing the production rather than being the producer so listening to the tracks maybe if listen if everything's going well i don't get involved but if there's if they ask you know if there's, i think there's something that could be a bit better or certainly in the mixing stage quite often i get involved but i'm not sitting in the studio generally speaking right maybe for mixing that's the only mixing on certain projects i like to really be involved in the mixing mm -hmm. mostly because uh but at that point, everybody's starting to lose focus a bit. Right. <laughs> you know, they've heard everything a thousand times, and so it's quite useful to have fresh ears in there. You know? Yeah, certainly. It's hard to trust your taste yeah. once you're so close to something exactly. that you can't see the forest from the trees anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I completely understand. Putting fresh eyes on things. Yeah. Um, I have more questions, but let's pour our tea first. Okay. Well, I have the coffee, and then I have the teas coming out, because my trade was kind of full. Mm, no, problem. no problem. Thank you so much. There's cream and sugar, and then honey for your tea, and the, I will bring the lemon as well. Okay, great. Thanks. Okay, thank you so much. So, I want to talk to you about your music industry longevity. It seems like you've seen a lot of different manifestations of this, and uh, the, the whole experience with EMI from 2002 to 2010 seemed really compelling. You were bought by a major label, and then were able to reestablish yourself as an independent. Yeah. Um, what kind of advice do you have for people who are, <laughs> who are, let's say, running independent labels and trying to find their way in this vast wilderness of music industry chaos taking place right now? Well... I mean, I, I sold Mute to EMI for very specific reasons, to a very, with, with very specific kind of uh, parameters, and uh, I only did it under certain, under certain circumstances. Uh -huh. But as things happen, circumstances changed over time. The guy who I signed to, basically, a guy called Emmanuel de Bortel, who's, who now runs Because, the label Because, was an old friend and colleague, and he really knew, understood what Mute was about. Yeah. But then he left the company... And the new people who came in didn't really understand it, and then EMI got sold. Yeah, bought. Universal Mute. Oh, well, no, a Terra Firma, which is an investment company. Okay, okay. And it just kind of didn't feel very good anymore for me, and it wasn't it wasn't the best place for me or our artists. But in terms of in terms of advice, I mean that's really hard. I mean the only advice I can really give is, is you have to. I mean the only thing I would say is 
you have to be really passionate. You have to, you have to really work hard, and you have to have no options. You know what I mean? Nothing to fall back on. If you've got a nice career, you can fall back on. You'll probably end up falling back on it. You don't have the fire lit you know, constantly. You know, yeah. So, um, you know, I know there's no other job I could ever do. So, that's, that's, I have to do it. You know. So. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's so many different aspects of the industry, it's hard to give any general advice, but that's my... Aww. Hello. And I'm guessing you had the English breakfast again? Yes, that's right. Thank you. All right, so this is yours, then. That's the English breakfast? This is the Earl Grey. Okay, thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many aspects of the industry to give advice on, or not that I would be able to necessarily... But when people, you know, people ask me, you know, if, some, if I want to start a label, what's the thing? My, that's my advice: is make sure that you have no options to do anything else. Because <laughs> if you have, you'll do it. Um, do you find yourself nostalgic for any of the DIY moments in the early days of Mute, the normal warm leatherette, anything like uh, that? Do you miss anything? Well, you know, you know, I, I have, oops, I have, you know, many memories of the of the early days, of course, which were which were fantastic, you know. Well, you really don't, I mean, I, I really had no clue about what I was doing. And, you know, just going to the pressing plant, picking up the first test pressings, going around the record shops. Rough trade, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, I went to the pressing plant first and picked up some test pressings, went around a few shops, not really knowing what to do, you know. That, of course, that's really exciting. Do I feel nostalgic about it? Well, it's a, it was a great time. Let's say it was a great <laughs> time. I learned, I learned a lot quite quick. I had to learn a lot quite quickly. And once you, you know, you lose that naivety, but I just don't keep as much of it as possible, you know. Yeah, of course. I ask that question because I find that a lot of, when we're living in an era where music consumption is so widespread across yeah. um, different eras, yeah. you know, you could, you could be listening to something from 2016 and 1970 in the same span of 20 minutes these yeah, days. Of course, yeah. And people tend to get really nostalgic about the origins of things, the beginning. Everyone yeah. wants to ask questions. But I imagine um, having access to the kind of technology that you do now and the kind of artists that you do now, it must be a real thrill. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the problems, I mean, it, it was all, I mean, having access to that technology when I had the most basic te technology, I, found, I thought that was a thrill. That's the biggest thrill I ever had. Getting a four, my first four track. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, just a four track. I'd be able to overdub and getting and having a cheap synth. That was, I think. In, of course, I'm excited by all the new developments, and it's incredible what you can do now. But that, I don't think I ever got the same buzz out of anything as I did when I first started with my four track. You know. And now, um, it's a problem of too much, too many options, too much choice. People not really focusing on the core of what a song is or a piece of music is rather just over because they've got so many possibilities to overdub and endless presets and synths and software and I just think it's a I think you have to set rules what I said before about the techno thing you know, you've got to set yourself some rules otherwise you get very lost yeah, yeah. and it becomes just um, the product becomes watered down by too many ideas at once almost yeah well it, yeah, it just loses its I mean if you had a, you might, I mean if the initial idea was great and then it gets watered down that's terrible sometimes the initial idea isn't even that great right so not very good idea watered down is mediocre you know, <laughs> you know that, over the history of pop music most of it is not great you know or it's not amazing should we say right catchy and fantastic are very different yeah, yeah, certainly right. yeah um, so you've had lots of collaborations through the years. Are there any dream collaborators that you would like to work with at some point in your future? Do you mean, do you mean collaborations in what way? Either making music or producing with someone or having someone produce something yeah. that you've worked on. 
Well, I'd love to work with some. I mean, I, you know, there are some people I'd love to work in the studio with, especially on the tech, especially now when I'm doing a DJ. Some of the techno DJs who really know how to get the techno producers, DJs, who have never really know how to get the sound. Yeah, certainly. You know, people like Richie Horton or Chris Liebing or Regis or you know. I'm hoping to spend some time in the studio with a couple of those guys this year. So incredible! I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Set the goal and then achieve it yeah. within a year. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. um, so now I have to ask my question, my my generation's question. Mm-hmm. What new music have you found compelling? What new artists have kind of gotten under your skin recently? Well, you know, I'm very focused on. So my time for listening to music is limited. Mm-hmm. And 90% of that is taken up by um, by the music that we're producing at any particular moment in time. You know, whether it's something we're thinking about signing or something that's in the, the guys are in the studio, and and most of the rest of it is um, listening to music for my te- for my DJ set. Mm-hmm. So I rely very so, and I find it hard listening to music sometimes. Certainly, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not very good at having music on in the background when I'm driving or doing stuff at home. I can't. I'm not so. My music, this proper listening time is quite specific and limited. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not listening to a hundred new things every day. So I like, I mean, some guys in my position would be doing that, but I can't do that. Right. And you I only rely have on so my, much mental bandwidth. Yeah. I, re- I rely very much on the team of people around me to say, you know. So the things that I'm really excited about are the things, some of the things we're working on, which I know is obvious in a way. No, 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 but that's that's beautiful, though. Yeah. The thing... Being able to be excited about what you're putting into the world is yeah. essential. That's, that's for me, is the most important. If I'm not excited about it, then what's the point? Why should you expect anyone I mean, else to be? Yeah, exactly. And there are plenty of other people who might be more excited than me. But, you know, our new, our new artists like Arca and Lur, and there's a new Yesair album, which is amazing. I've been wanting to listen to that, actually. Yeah, it's not, was... Well, the album, there was just one track out there at the moment. Okay. And there's new artists, Lur. I don't know if you're familiar with them. L-U-H. Not yet. Really amazing and Arca. You know, those, so those things I'm really excited about. You know, some of the things that are really new, some of the things that are, people have been around. You know, I listened to some uh, early Liars tracks the other day. Yes. That, and uh, <laughs> sounded amazing, you know, for their new album. So yeah, Some that's... of my favorite Liars um, productions came from you, as a matter oh, of fact. Yeah. I really loved Sister World a lot, oh, so right. thank Great. you for that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited for the things that, that I'm working on, really. That's beautiful. We could all hope to be so lucky. <laughs> so what's next on the horizon for you? Where's the next DJ gig? Um, San Francisco. Exciting. On Saturday, on Sunday evening at a place called The Monarch. Mm-hmm. And then I'm in New York in, at Output on Saturday, next Saturday week, Sunday morning. Uh-huh. I think it's a three till, set, three till six set, which I'm really looking forward to. That's my favorite time. Incredible. Um, the deep, deep night. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And wow. I've, never, I've never played that before, so that'd be really That's good pretty fun. challenging, I imagine, a three-hour DJ set from three to six in the morning. Like. It's okay. It's not, of course it's challenging, but I mean, uh, if it wasn't challenging, I wouldn't enjoy it. I mean, but I don't have a problem with the time. It's like, I'm a night person. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I feel good. I don't, doesn't have, I don't have a problem playing at three o'clock in the morning. Beautiful. For three yeah. hours, yeah. As long as, it's, as long as I get it right, you know, and do it, do it well. Are there any dream places you want to travel to that you've not yet seen? What to play, you mean? Yeah. Well, uh, I've had a couple of... Uh, recently, I've had a couple of... Uh, one offer, which sounds very exciting, is in uh, Colombia, in Bogota. Oh, wow. Uh, which is like a arts music festival, which I'm hoping to be able to do. Um, 
China. I've got you know some dates in China coming up, hopefully. Um, you know, so all that kind of Mongolia. Oh yeah. my gosh, that's yeah, incredible. There's a great club in Mongolia. I can't even imagine the scene in that club. Yeah, no, this is the club. <laughs> but I mean, those are the kind. Of, but, I, but I love DJing. Every, you know, I DJ mostly. I mean, I DJ a lot in Berlin and around Europe. The heart of it. Yeah. I imagine you get to see a lot of human truth. You know, DJing across the world, you get to see humans distilled into like dancing forms and spirits, and yes. so you see a lot of constants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's quite universal. Um, I mean, it's very different. Monty's the other night. I enjoyed it a lot. It's very different to the kind of normal place that I play. It's more of a bar, music bar. Yeah, exactly. Than a club. But, the, but, it was a, but it was a great crowd and really nice people and had a good time. Good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that our city did me proud in that regard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you so much Pleasure. for taking the time out of okay. your day. This has been great. And, yeah. um, and good luck with the station. Why, thank you. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe that was real. That was so cool. I don't know. It was cool to kind of reflect on that moment, I suppose. To clarify what I mean, um, I had a hard time listening to it because I say incredible so much. I want to apologize to the general listening public for that, but it was pretty nice getting to hang out with old Daniel Miller there for a second. Um, I hope you enjoyed the ambient noise of teacups rattling. We got to enjoy a spot of tea, courtesy of Ale. Thank you again for that. In Conversation was produced by DubLab, a nonprofit radio station broadcasting live from Los Angeles since 1999. Sound editing and theme song by Matea Bame. For more programming, visit dublab.com. And thank you for listening.